Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. This study goes back more than a decade. Uh, It was when I was doing uh, a lot of work into policing some years ago, particularly with a colleague of mine from then Griffith University, Tim Prenzler, and we put up a study for funding, and we got a very large amount of funding, which I'm very pleased to say we then spent over the next uh, four or five years. And the study essentially was trying to look at the interrelationship between police, which most of us know a lot about, and private security, which very few of us know much about, except we see them everywhere. And the funny thing was, if anyone were to ask the last ten people uh, in some sort of uniform who asked them to do something, nine of them typically would have been non-police. So the study was essentially about the nature of the private security market, the private personnel market, how many there were, how influential they were in crime prevention, what sort of regulatory structures they were under, what were their legal powers and what were their relationships with the sort of state police that we always understood. No one in Australia had done that study prior to our study. And this has taken a long time. It took a long time, uh, probably five or six years as the private security market grew and as the public security people started to say, actually, these guys are not simply wannabe cops. They can actually assist us. But it did have to happen at the highest levels. The police commissioners had to start talking about the corporate CEOs. They had to satisfy themselves. The corporate CEOs knew what they were doing, had the confidence of the public, and were sufficiently regulated. We can come back to that a bit later. But as those partnerships grew, as that trust grew, and again, it's been growing in the last decade as well, we've seen some terrific partnerships. The most common one is around stadium and other management, just the sheer presence of people who are in and around sporting and other events, like like the Olympics, like the Commonwealth Games, those sorts of things. We now see a very strong relationship between guards who have a certain amount of power um, being being instructed and, and in partnership essentially with the, uh, with the public police. We've seen some terrific partnerships here in Australia. I'll mention two of them. One, there was one called Strike Force Piccadilly, which got police, private security together with business owners to stop ATM, automatic teller machine robberies and ram raids. And within about two years, with a good partnership, they were able to stop ATM ram raids in their tracks in Australia, just because everyone was able to come on board at once. The other big success story here in Australia is the motor vehicle theft reduction stuff, where businesses, private security and police were able to virtually reduce um, tenfold the number of vehicles that were being stolen. Add to that all of the situational crime prevention advisory services, add to that sort of home security advice, personal security, women's protection, for example, walking at night. All those sorts of partnerships now have been very, very productive in reducing crime across the board. We're getting there. We're getting there. When we first started looking at this more than a decade ago, we were, Tim and I were very concerned about the fact that we really had too many instances where you want to be cops people in uniforms were engaging in some activities that were egregiously offending people, uh, countering their rights, over-surveilling them, uh, and, and spying on them in ways which we didn't ex- accept was, was uh, appropriate. 
in a civil society. So to the, to the credit of every jurisdiction in Australia, and it's a state-based uh, uh, jurisdiction that looks after these sorts of things, uh, we have found that legislation has followed this. Legislation which essentially sets up licensing regimes, uh, generally speaking, regulatory activities that ensure that anyone who's going to have a particular license has done the appropriate training. And I'm confident in the last 10 years, uh, the way in which that has occurred uh, has led to a far better relationship between public and private. And one of the big ones, of course, was that when typically governments do hire, and they do regularly, hire private operatives to come in and do something like the games and then step out again, they typically go to the operators that have a very good track record. In other words, the market also says, if you've got a bunch of rogues, you're not going to get the contracts, and you're certainly not going to get the most lucrative contracts, which, of course, are government contracts. So to that extent, I think the transparency and accountability that is desirous, we're getting there, parliaments are on board, uh, and generally speaking, if you don't uh, come up to scratch, you won't get the business, you'll be out of business, so the market has a role to play as well. Well, what we were saying in our study, and I think they have been largely taken on board, was to ensure that people don't get the appropriate licences until they've done the training. So training regimes was a big recommendation, and to the extent that those training regimes have been enhanced, we're satisfied with that. We also made a whole range of recommendations concerning the way in which governments themselves and private security generally need to be aware of some of the public concern around things like uh, facial recognition, data matching, surveillance, artificial intelligence, algorithmic testing, all that sort of stuff which is now very much in the hands of non-government agencies to ensure that there was some sort of regulatory oversight that went all the way back to Parliament to ensure that those sorts of things were not in the hands of private ind uh, industries totally and that they would need to have some degree of legislative oversight or government oversight to ensure that they are acceptable in a modern society. And to the extent that that, I think, has happened pretty well, we've done that. Uh, and the last one, of course, was that we wanted to make sure that the law reform was appropriate, that whatever those legal powers were, were put in place so people understood them. One thing that we did recommend, which has never happened, which disappoints me, is that we were trying to suggest that there are still too many opportunities for people to sue private security where they are doing their best to ensure that people are safe and that those private security should be given a little bit more leeway, an honest and reasonable mistake or a good Samaritan defence in the same way the police do. We haven't got to that stage yet. Uh, I'd like to think there was some sort of legislative fallback position that private security could have in the event that something goes wrong. That would never excuse something which was illegal or egregious, but it would just allow private security a little bit more leeway, particularly in relationship uh, with, with the community where they're working in partnership with police who operate under different powers. With that in place, I reckon the whole of our recommendations will be picked up.